Thanks for tuning in to our bonus episode preview. This is just a short sample of this week's exclusive Patreon episode. You can hear the episode in its entirety by becoming a member at patreon.com slash indoctrination, where you'll gain access to all of our exclusive episodes and merchandise. I am so happy to have you, Vadla Or, on the show again. Your episodes were very, very interesting for a lot of people, and they get quoted a lot, actually, which I've been meaning to tell you, where people will listen to the episode and say, well, just like, you know, you've all said. <laughs> and it's very nice to see you. It's been a long time. That's right. Yeah. Good. Great seeing you. Uh, great to be back on the podcast. I'm glad that people found what I said last time interesting. My book is coming along. I would say it's probably 80, 85% done or a first draft done. But if anybody wants to read a draft, they can email me at yuvalaor at gmail.com and I will email them a, a draft. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, good. All right. That's great to know. So before we get started talking about what we're going to talk about, um, what is happening in your life? I mean, besides this book, which sounds very exciting. And what else are you doing? Well, I'm back at my place. I was traveling a little bit, went to Egypt, saw the Great Pyramid, you know, the most reliable inducer of awe, probably for the last 4,500 years. Yeah, other than that, not much. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, reliable inducer of awe. I love that expression. And so when you see those sorts of things, even though you study awe, is that what you feel? Or do you watch the people who are watching what you're watching? Well, I mean, a, a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, I distinguish between uh, terrestrial awe and more genuine or, or, you know, stronger awe experiences. And I think that they are in a way similar to being uh, uh, afraid when you're watching a horror movie and being afraid when you're swimming in the ocean, you really do see a shark, right? That both of the emotions are fear, but one of them doesn't mean much. You're not really in danger, while the other one does mean much. And I think that with awe, you have a similar distinction between the awe that I would have seeing a whale, seeing the, the Great Pyramid, and someone that would use that awe to psychologically prove to them that certain things are real and usually prove to them that they're really real, that they're ultimate truth. So just because it's the same emotion, those are extremely different, different type of experiences. Right. Okay. So what, what's lucky about being able to talk to you about this is that you know about the brain chemistry that's related to this. And I would love for you to be able to explain it because people know the language of the feeling that they're feeling, but not sort of what's creating it and what parts of the brain are getting kind of, you know, sparked by these sorts of things and how it affects us. Yeah. Well, in general, emotions uh, I mean, they can be induced directly through seizures, right? In which case, you know, it's it's not a, a usual way to have an emotional experience. But normally, emotions are uh, induced through either, uh, well, you also have emotional contagion, uh, but normally they're induced by judgments, right? So if you judge that you were wronged and the person who wronged you, et cetera, there's a, a number of conditions, then you will feel anger. But anger is the result of the judgment. Now, what I argue is that what induces our experiences are judgments when people judge things to be sufficiently anomalous, which is a big 
You know, what is and is not anomalous greatly depends on what you think is normal or abnormal. There are people who think that everything is anomalous, that everything is awe-inducing. There's people who think that everything's a miracle. But after judging that, and sometimes you can see something that's sufficiently anomalous, but it happened when you went to see a magic show. So you know this is like going to, to feel fear in a horror movie. You know that, yes, you saw something inexplicable, but you know it doesn't mean anything. Other ways that things can be uh, judged to be anomalous is, for example, encountering a celebrity or seeing something that is extremely impressive, like a work of art. I, I think we'll get into further into the causes of awe and the types of causes of awe when we talk about uh, the functions of the temporal lobe, because there happens to be a really fascinating medical condition called temporal lobe epilepsy. And temporal lobe epilepsy causes neurologists, uh, neurologists describe the, one of the symptoms, and this is not always, but in many cases of temporal lobe epilepsy, as hyper-religiosity. One guy calls it enhanced religiosity, but <laughs> the rest call it hyper-religiosity. And um, people with this condition, they have very, very frequent awe experiences, very strong awe experiences, and they, they usually find themselves in a the state of fervor. There are in many, many cases serial converters, so they undergo many religious or even not religious conversions. And even if they're not religious, they could be atheists, but they're very fervent about it. And because of this strange, you know, medical condition, uh, which is, of course, not that common, uh, but, you know, can afflict all of us at any moment, right? Because it's epilepsy, it's not mental illness, it's a neurological condition. I think that it can, first of all, it can really teach us a lot about awe, about religiosity in general. But interesting is that from anecdotal evidence, it seems to me like a whole lot of cult leaders show at least the symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy. Now, I'm not a doctor or, I mean, not a medical doctor <laughs> um, and, and certainly not a neurologist. Uh, and so I'm not diagnostic in anybody. This is just speculation. But people like L. Ron Hubbard, I think, shows all of the, 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 the traits of temporal lobe epilepsy, or many, including some of the weird ones that we might get into. But other people like Ellen G. White, I mean, Ayn Rand, of course, she, you know, some consider her to be a, a religious figure, or I mean, she did have a cult-like following. But also, you know, I, I talked to uh, an acquaintance of mine, someone I know, and you know, he spent some time in a cult when he was young. This was maybe 30 years ago. And, you know, he told me, you know, he was there for six months before he, or maybe a year before he left. One day, you know, just got up and left. And when I described to him the list of personality traits that are induced by temporal lobe epilepsy, he's like, oh my God, this is, this sounds like my cult leader. Now, this is, of course, another anecdote, right? And, and if you look at the, the book, uh, Feet of Clay, which I happen to have here, which is an analysis of it's like six or seven cult leaders, including Bhagwan Rashnish, also known as Osho, uh, Jim Jones, let's see, uh, also Rudolf Steiner. I think he's a psychi psychologist. He might be a psychiatrist. But this is one of the problems of the division between psychiatry and neurology, which are both uh, medical specifications that study the brain, but yet they do different stuff. He doesn't mention the possibility of epilepsy. Now, this type of epilepsy also was only discovered 
Uh, it was speculated about in the mid to late 70s. It became uh, established in the 80s, early 80s. So a lot of studies of, for example, L. Ron Hubbard in the 60s that uh, the Australian government did, they say, well, he, he seems like he's not schizophrenic, but there's something going on here now. This is because it's at the time before this type of epilepsy was even proposed. So I think that, you know, if you look at Wright's book about Scientology, Going Clear, I think, is the mm -hmm. book. Yeah, Lawrence Wright. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lawrence Wright. He quotes uh, Scientology's spokesman who says, well, there's two options. Either L. Ron Hubbard is a con man or he's not a con man. Now, if he's not a con man, then his research might be valid and all this and that. But to think that he is a con man, con men would not write half a million pages for Scientology. And this is on top of him being the most published author, right? This is besides that. Who would put so much work for his con? You know, if you're a con man, you're there for profit. But I think that those two options miss a third option, is that he suffers from temporal lobe epilepsy, whose one of its uh, symptoms is graphomania. So writing a whole hell of a lot of text, mountains of texts. And, you know, there's a, a number of writers that are considered to have temporal lobe epilepsy. Initially, it was called Dostoevsky's epilepsy because apparently uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky developed it later in his life. And in uh, the book, The Idiot, there's a character who writes a letter that describes a bunch of symptoms that Dostoevsky shouldn't know about. <laughs> and also in personal letters, Dostoevsky describes his own auras and uh, extreme uh, experiences uh, that made people in, in the 70s, uh, Gashwind and, and others, to study it. And, and initially, they called it Dostoevsky's epilepsy. But let me see, there's a, a list here of other writers that have been proposed that uh, had this, this affliction is Edgar Allan Poe, Alfred Lord Tennyson, Gustave Flaubert, Lewis Carroll, and Philip K. Dick. Graphomania, that happens if your epilepsy is on the writing side of your brain, right? If it's on the other side, you might just talk all the time, but the other symptoms. So Vincent van Gogh is considered a, a very strong candidate for having temporal lobe epilepsy, but maybe other things as well. Regarding philosophers, so people say, well, Socrates, but who knows? There's an article about that. But And others, you know, people speculate, but, you know, like Socrates, they say that the Apostle Paul or uh, Ezekiel or all sorts of, but those are, are fairly distant figures. From that list, you saw there's a lot of really nice guys, really good people who had temporal lobe epilepsy. To get an L. Ron Hubbard, the narcissism, the pathological lying, and all that needs to come from another source. That's, the epilepsy is not responsible for that. So there are many, many types of epilepsy. In general, an epilepsy is a scar or um, a, you know, a blood clot or something like that that's in the brain. Now, every person's brain is different and every epilepsy is different because it is a tiny little scar and it could be at a very specific location. But people like Ellen G. White, she got hit in the head, in the side of the head where the temporal lobes are, and since then became a fervent uh, believe that she was chosen, started writing gigantic books, and she is the spiritual leader of the Seventh-day Adventists. So other epilepsies are most famous for giving people grand mal seizures. So 
Grand mal seizures are the ones that we associate with people shaking uncontrollably, etc. So that sometimes happens in temporal lobe epilepsy, but it's not necessary at all. So you can have temporal lobe epilepsy and never have a grand mal seizure. I have an article somewhere that describes like 70 something types of seizures. So there's a bunch of types of seizures and seizures can actually last for days on it. So yeah, I, I know actually a temporal lobe patient and he had deja vu for like three days straight, which was, which was a seizure, even though people can have very ecstatic peak experiences and they have very positive experiences. They are also have horrible, horrible, very scary, very terrifying experiences. It is a, a very, it can be a very, very debilitating and unpleasant, you know, disease to have. I mean, not disease condition, but also one of the its symptoms as we'll see is paranoia. So because of that, it's one of the the conditions that prevents people from treating itself. Like depression, which does it differently with paranoia, people don't, don't uh, disclose to the, the doctor what, what is going on because they might be afraid and not trustful of the doctor. And so that hinders the ability for them to get help. Another problem of, of getting help is that many times people assume that what's going on is a psychological or psychiatric situation. So because people suddenly they might have, it's called ideas of reference, where they think that the way they arrange stuff in their house affects the news, for example, or the weather, right? So, you know, all sorts of really strange things and people are describing all sorts of strange ideas. And then, the, you know, this is the kind of stuff that people take someone to psychologist or psychiatrist. And actually, one of the symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy is that the person was misdiagnosed as having either bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or a psychotic disorder, right? So schizoaffective disorder. Uh, so this is neurologists saying those psychiatrists will misdiagnose this. But if you have a misdiagnosis, that means that there's a better chance that you actually have this specific type of epilepsy. 